Perez. Walter makes a run ahead of it. Burkamp suddenly changed pace through the centre. It's Burkamp! That's magnificent! The move, and then this, which left Dabby's ass totally stranded. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to a Burkamp Wonderland and Arsenal podcast. I hope this evening finds you well-rested, well-nourished, and in high spirits. As you can see before you on the visual medium, there are three beautiful bastards that have joined us this evening and are ready to discuss all things Arsenal. So without further ado, I'm just going to go briefly around the room and allow everybody to say a quick brief hello to you all. So first of all, Nick, say hello to the boys and girls. Hello, boys and girls. And Danny. Chris, say hello to the boys and girls. Bonjour now, everyone. And Danny, you big, beautiful son of a bitch, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, James. Hello. Right, should we get straight down to business and claw our respective talons into the... Um, maelstrom of turds that was the uh, performance on Saturday. Um, obviously, those that, uh, those that saw it know it was pretty poor. We lost 2-1 to Brighton in a game that we would ordinarily be expected to win with relative ease. But for whatever reasons, it just didn't go our way. So, Nick, what were your overlying thoughts on the game itself? Oh, I'm trying to remember because me and Danny <coughs> did the show and I think we just read chat for most of it because there weren't much to talk about other than you know, Arteta, the lineup, and you know, possible offside goal. And that was about it, really. And oh, we played terrible again. Probably worse than when we played against Crystal Palace, which was not the um, reaction we wanted after Monday night, was it? No, it most certainly wasn't. I find that um, maybe it's just me being the naysayer, but there's a sort of key element to Mikel Arteta's tenure at Arsenal is that we will perform really, really well for a certain period of time. And then perception or the way the team's perceived, that kind of thing, it will just switch and everyone will start to think positively. It will appear to be progressive. And it's almost as if it's that exact moment where he decides to say, right, guys, let's just fucking shit the bed. So, Chris, what were your thoughts on the Brighton debacle? Do you know what? For, for the Palace game... That was horrible, and I was ray. I had rage, but I can kind of compartmentalize it because you know every team has a bad day, and we're a young team, and everyone. I think a lot of people said that afterwards. You know, young team. We picked up an injury beforehand. Party got injured during it. It was a bit rubbish. This game has actually <coughs> affected me. This Brighton game has affected me more than the actual Palace game has because I think number one, it hit home to me that we probably. I don't think we've got a chance of top four now because of the way we're playing, because the fact that Tottenham have been skanking a few results, because I didn't think they were that great against Villa, but they got four. Um, but it's affected me because tactically, it just felt like we were just being, we were resetting back one year ago. It was almost like the Villarreal nonsense of last year with the Jack Jacker at left back. And I'm sure we can get into the nuances of the actual performance. But that's why it's worried me more than anything else, because if we'd have just been skanked by VAR uh, and we'd have lost 1-0 and we'd have battered Brighton and we've just been shafted by referees, I feel like I could compartmentalise it. But the way that that match unfolded, the sheer lack of intensity 
and then the lack of ideas and the tactical meltdown that it was, it actually feels like the season has just been has been hung out to dry. Yeah, I can, I, I can kind of see where you're coming from there. It was just, like you said, the Crystal Palace game, as bad as it was, there were periods in the second half where we actually performed pretty well. And you know what you say, you can look at it, oh, we lost 3-0, Palace are a decent side, they got a partisan crowd at home. So it's one of those grinds where we won't be the only team this season that will go there and lose points. So you think, eh, it's not so much of a big problem. But Brighton at home, you should win. There's no real two ways about it. Danny, you're conspicuously quiet any thoughts yeah just i wasn't sure about our previous history against brighton because uh, they've spent most of their life in in um away from the premier league and so in recent years we played them in the fa cup in 88 13 and 15 we beat them every time and we've had 10 premier league games against them we've won three we've drawn three and we've lost four so they do seem to be our bogey team they beat us 2-1 in 2018 2-1 in 2019 and 20 and 2-1 again um, a few days ago. But it does seem the fact that we, if if you ask, even, I mean, Twitter is full of more, social media is full of moronic Arsenal fans that wouldn't know one, wouldn't know the shape of a ball if you told them it was round. And if you just said to them, Jack a left back, no, no, you can't do that. We don't do that. And even those morons know. Because when, when you when you play Jack at left back, you're going to go. Well, it's not like he was on the bench coming to left back. He's one of our two holding midfielders that are going to do all the work. Now you're taking him out of midfield. You're playing him at left back, and you go, all right. Now what are you can do in midfield? I'll know what I know what I'll do. We'll get our most creative player, and we'll make him go and play in central midfield. Which will so you've got Jack who can't play left back, and now he is. And then you get Erdegaard and play him in central midfield, which kind of ruins his game. And then you've got Smith-Rowe, who always plays best out on the left, and you're playing him in, in behind Lacazette. And then to top all that off, you're, you're playing Lacazette, who has, who has gone full Giroud and has gone, was it 16 games with, with a couple of outfield goals? I, mean, I think it's two outfield Premier League goals this season and two Premier League penalties this season. And then when then things get a bit sticky, bring on Eddie Nketiah, who last scored a goal in, I think it was uh, May 2020. No, it was April the 20th, 2021. So, uh, Eddie, you've got an anniversary coming up, the uh, one-year anniversary of your last Premier League goal. And it seems to be that Arteta will go, no, I, I, I am reinventing football. Much like Pep likes to reinvent football, every, all the Man City fans, the last season's Champions League final. And he goes, I know what I'll do. I'll uh, reinvent football. Like Jack had, like um, Arteta did against Villarreal in the in the um, Europa League semi-finals. I'm going to reinvent football. I'm going to do stuff that's never been done before. And they both keep doing it. And it doesn't work. Uh, it's okay for Pep because you've got a billion pounds of talent to bring up, uh, bring on and get you out the hole. But Arteta doesn't. What's he got on the bench? A, a load of kids going through puberty. Useless. <laughs> and he keeps doing it. And he will do it again against um, Southampton. And we would be lucky to get a draw. And he'll do it again against Chelsea. And Chelsea will smack six pastors or something ridiculous. And then I was thinking last night, if he carries on doing this, he's up for contract renewal, isn't he? He's only got a year left after this season. It's two, isn't it? I thought it was one. At the end of this season. He's got one year left at the end yeah. of the season. That's what I thought. And there's been talk about, that's why he went over to, to see the, the, the Cronkies. And... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it carries on like this. He's not learnt his lessons, hence the title of the podcast. And would they say to him by the end of the season, sorry, Mikel, we've got too much talent here for, for you to waste by playing the wrong players in the wrong positions? Right, I'm just going to ask a quick sub-question before I go on to the next one, because you gave me a good point. I'll 
go around the room in the opposite way to where we went around the first time. So Danny, Chris, and Nick. If we don't get Europe, do you think we, he should leave, Danny? Yes. Chris? Yes. Nick? Uh, maybe. I'm sort, of, I, I'm sort of the same non-committal maybe there. It depends on... I think if we capitulate from now to the end of the season, when we had it in our own hands, then there's no real argument you can make against it. In relation to something Chris pointed out earlier when he was talking about the game, if it's one of those things where we perform well and we just get shafted, then maybe you'd think it's not entirely his fault. It's just the elements have conspired against us. Um, as the performance was bad, as we've dropped six points from two games that we should realistically be winning if we've got hopes for the top four, do you think these two performances are going to have long-lasting repercussions, A, for our chances of getting Europe, and B, for the overall confidence of the team? So I'll go straight to Chris for that one, please. Yes, I do. Um, I, I wrote something just before the international window, and it was my perspective on the remaining 10 games that we had. And I said, we need six, six wins, which gets us to 72 points. I think that, that will get us top four. We're now with eight games remaining, and... We've got. I still think we've got to win six of them, and so you're talking about Southampton away, which that'll be difficult because even though they've just be, been tonked by Chelsea, they will be up for it. They will apply the, exactly the same approach that Crystal Palace did. They will high press us, and if we play the way we've been playing, they will catch us cold. So we've got Southampton away, we've got Chelsea away, we've got Man United at home, we've got I know we've got West Ham uh, away at some. I think it's the, it might be the game after Leeds at home, Newcastle away. Um, Tottenham away and Everton at home and I'm looking at those eight games and thinking Leeds at home maybe Newcastle away uh, Everton at home that's three that means you've got to win win three of Man United Chelsea West Ham Tottenham um, and I can't see that happening at the moment and we've got to rely on Tottenham shit in the bed because at the moment it doesn't really look like they are although like I said I've seen some of the stats and info from the Aston Villa game and it didn't feel like it was an absolute 4-0 tonking. I think the thing with Tottenham is you take Kane and Son out of that team and they are garbage. They just have mm. the benefit of two very good centre excuse me, two very good forwards and we don't. I think mm. we're better in the um, leading up to the front two but not necessarily it pains me to admit it but I think it's just an element where they have a little bit of an advantage. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on the uh, aforementioned question? What was the question again? I was, <laughs> I was fearing you were going to say that because I can't remember it myself. It's, <laughs> Sorry, it's my fault. It's, um, <laughs> uh, the repercussions, A, for our chances of getting top four, and B, for the overall feeling or, you know, confidence of the team. Yeah, I mean, losing is obviously never a good thing. But I think like Chris said earlier, you know, when we lost to Man City, that actually helped galvanise the team and the, you know, the fan base because we knew we played really well, probably one of our better games of the whole season. And looks like we sort of got tucked up a bit by VAR on a last-minute goal. So, you know, it's just how they can react. And things are, this is going to be more behind the scenes at the training ground, you know, because we don't, I assume... Is kicked off with um, Tavares and Arteta this week, and maybe Xhaka Pepe's probably had another little cry because you know he's been completely overlooked. 
And so it should do. I mean, Arteta, yeah, he's the manager and he gets final say. And yes, he would like to be managing a squad of numbers and of, you know, as talented as what, you know, was at Man City, but he hasn't got that. He's got to manage the players he has available and who are not injured. And for some reason, he wants to play how he wants to play. And he hasn't got the players to do that. I mean, like I said, the last game, you know, defence was already an issue. So his way of fixing the broken defence was to break the midfield, to try and make the defence. And, and that didn't work. You know, he broke the midfield and then, what did he, made about four players playing like out of position where they haven't been playing well. And, you know, the, these are the mistakes Arteta as a younger manager, he's going to keep making. And unfortunately, he's making them, making them at a club like Arsenal. Whereas, you know, like people said before, if Fiera came in, he's already made those mistakes. You know, so he wouldn't be making those mistakes again. But it's a very uh, interesting that's, point. That's what we're doing. That's what we're going to have to do. So, you know, the Cronkies are happy with Arteta to keep keep in charge. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't sack him in the summer if we don't get top four or if we don't get Europe. I definitely wouldn't be giving him a contract extension. Uh, Danny, what are your thoughts on this particularly delicious matter? <laughs> yeah, looking like like Chris is saying, going through the fixtures, Southampton uh, they they've had a torrid time, smashed six 0 at home by Southampton by Chelsea the other day, but then we're away to Chelsea, no chance. We're at home to Man United, and that's one of those games. It doesn't. It's a twelve thirty kickoff, which is never good, but we're at home, and that's like a North London derby. Four means nothing. It's 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 whoever has a a good game on the day, and we all know that all the the referees in the FA and all that prefer Man United over us. Then we're going away to West Ham, who are one of our rivals, really decent team. And then we're, then we're playing a resurgence Leeds United because they've got um, the lad back in midfield and then uh, they've got a couple of other players back and they're, they're on form again. They've avoided, almost definitely going to avoid relegation. And then we're away at Spurs, 7.45 Thursday, which is oh, going to be an absolute bloody nightmare. Then we've only got two games left to go. A resurgence Newcastle, a resurgent, who are... Uh, who are a very decent team now, putting in really good results. Then the last game of the season at home to Everton, and the pressure is going to be on Everton in that game to to make sure they don't go down. And so every game that we've got coming up is either going to be against someone who's really good or against teams that are back in form and Spurs are back in form, like you were saying. Those two are probably the best front two playing world football at the moment as a two. We know Benzema is really good, but it tends to be him on his own and whoever one of the many players they've got that comes on and plays with him. But as a oh dear, as a striking partnership, I don't think there's many work better in, in in world football. And the amount of goals they're getting, plus they get each other assists, which is something we we haven't been doing for ages. And we know that Arteta is just going to stick with the same old bullshit. And I hate the fact, I hate the idea of having him, uh, him leave because then we're going to have to go through all this again. But if he's never ever going to learn his own bloody lessons, he can't play Jack a left back because he'll end up going wandering up the field and then getting left for dead and then attacking down the right, which is exactly what happened. It's interesting because I've got slightly more of an optimistic um, outlook on this, and I shall explain why. I always look at Arsenal with that the last two games, we've been in the driving seat, and because of that, there's an extent to which the pressure's on, especially on that Monday night game where we knew the results, we knew we needed to win, we knew the position, and they just sort of seem to instinctively let that get to them. You can almost sense it within the team that they know that they're in the 
a really good position and they know that it's up to them and they just sort of invariably shit the bed. With those two defeats, it's sort of taken the pressure off, if you will. Now, I don't actually think, given our fixtures, we've got as good a chance as Tottenham of getting the top four. That's just fact. They've got a better run in than us. And we have some very, very difficult away fixtures, a couple of which I wouldn't be at all surprised if we lost and we lost quite badly because that's the kind of thing we do. But the pressure's off us now. And the pressure to continue with the way they're going is all on Tottenham. And as we know, as much as we're prone to fucking up, Tottenham are exactly the same, if not worse. I mean, their history denotes all kinds of, you know, just the minute you put them into an ascendant position, they fuck it up. So there is a little part of thinking me, it, is, it would be classic Arsenal to go to Chelsea, to go to West Ham, to go to Spurs and get nine points and then just lose the stupid games. Because that's the kind of thing that we do. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to move on to my next point, the next topic of discussion, and that was the team selection. <clears throat> I, I think it's pretty much unanimous across the Arsenal supporting community that nobody in their right mind, unless they've got rocks in their head and shit in their eyes, wants to see Xhaka at left back. Because it's just... It's like putting square pegs into round holes and it just completely obliterates whatever balance the team has because you're taking somebody out of his preferred posi position to cover someone who should be in that position and leaving a gaping hole from the position he once came. It's, I don't think there's anyone who can actually stand and give a good argument for it. It doesn't affect stability. If anything, it worsens it. It certainly doesn't do anything for our attacking prowess down the left-hand side. The only way in which I could slightly understand it as a decision is if Thomas Partey is still there. But given that he's not, given that moving Xhaka just leaves uh, Lekonga there by himself with two predominantly attack-minded midfielders, Nodegaard and Smith-Rowe, we're going to get overrun in midfield. And any opposing manager would see that. Any opposing manager is going to look at that Arsenal lineup and think to themselves, right, Attack down the right, pressure the guy in the middle on his own, and we'll get some joy, and they will. And the good teams will obliterate us if we keep that. So my question is, after I've rumbled on a little bit, and it's going to go straight to Danny with this one, is what do you think, your personal opinion, is the best starting eleven we can put out with what we currently have? And by that, I mean taking into account injuries and such. See, that's a tough one because normally you'd, you'd say we'd stick with a back four the whole time. But when we don't have a left back and Cedric isn't a fantastic right back, but Big Bob Holding is a brilliant defender. I mean, he, he's shown many times when he comes in. So I'm going to say he's not going to do it. But I'd go three centre-backs. And then because uh, quite a few teams are doing this around the world. Uh, they go, you go through phases where something is in and something is out tactics-wise. And I like the idea of three at the back. It's what I used to play on Football Manager. And then I'd uh, see the next. The other problem is we've got nobody up front. There's no one who can score goals in this side. So I'd go a bit crazy. I'd have Martinelli up front. I'd have uh, Erdegaard and Smith Rowe playing behind. No, Smith Rowe on the left. Erdegaard playing behind him, and then you have Saka on the right, and then whoever's left to stick him in midfield. It's probably going to be Xhaka, going to be Lakonga, and then so that's going to be three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine. Just go out there with ten players. Fuck it. That would do. <laughs> I'm notorious for forgetting how to count. But the problem is goals. That's uh, and defense isn't really the problem because if you can score goals. But look at this. I made this the other day for people at home and on the bus. 
It's our last 10 games, and we've averaged 17 shots on goal per game, off on target 4.4, off target 6.2, and blocks doesn't matter. We're averaging 1.2 goals a game, James. Mm, uh, that is pretty shocking. It is absolutely unbelievable. And then in the last game against Brighton, uh, Lacazette had zero shots of any kind. That's the problem. I don't think it's as much with the full-backs, the left-back, the centre-back, maybe even not not party being out. The fact, if you can't score goals, then you're, you're, um, if you let one goal in, you're knackered. And we've got no goals coming from the side. And we did have them coming from the Martinelli and Smith row. Oh, Chris, is, Chris has got a point. I can tell he's starting to do it. <laughs> I, I was just going to add to that, just in terms of the stats, Dan. So I tweeted something earlier, and it was from SofaScore. Arsenal have scored just three out of their last seven, out of seventeen big chances they've created this year. The seventeen point six percent big chance conversion, which is basically back to the stats you were just quoting, Dan, and that is the lowest amongst all of the ninety eight teams in the top five European Jesus leagues Christ. this year. So essentially, Jesus. we're taking lots of shots. We are not scoring very many, and we are not converting many. And it just goes back to your point of of the uh, of the chart you just showed, Dan. That is a depressing stat. Did you see that other one, James, where there was a, <clears throat> you know, like you got like a line down the middle and then you've got the positive on one side, negative down the bottom. And at the top, it's got all the players come down. The Lacazette is on is on zero for goals and assists or whatever it was. And then below him, you had Nketiah was on minus. Now, I can't remember what it was. If anybody in the chat knows, let me know and I'll go and find it. But for, to have a striker that's on minus anything. And that's the oh, problem. Jesus, but, yeah. but but what I mean, you've got Pepe who can score goals. You've got Martinelli who can score goals if you put him in the right position. But you can't rely on the kids to come and get us out of trouble. We're just—it's infuriating. Uh, I'm not even sure what the answer could be. It's definitely—I'm I'm sure playing Martinelli up front is not the answer. I made That's this point the other day on. Sorry, I made this point on the other day on Twitter, and I stand by it. I reckon it's true. You take the top ten teams. We've got the worst strike force out of the top ten teams by a mile. You—you you could tell. I mean, there are probably three or four teams in the Premier League, maybe five who, if we took their main, main striker, wouldn't improve us. That's the problem for me. So, Nick, what would you say from keeper to striker is our best starting team with what we have available? What, at the moment? or if, um, At the moment, not in general. So taking in into general. account the absentees. Well, obviously, I think the back four and the keeper pretty much speaks. I think everyone would pick the same, wouldn't they? Or do you mean if what would you know from Saturday what he would? Pick? Yeah, take into account who we have available for Southampton. So, if oh. you were picking your best starting lineup for that game, well, I think so. Uh, obviously, Ben White, Gabriel, Cedric, Tavares, obviously Ramsdale and goal. Uh, I don't think Party probably will be back, so you probably stick. Um, Shaka and Lukonga in midfield. Uh, also, Saka on the right, Smithrow, and then what we got? Odegaard, and I suppose it'd have to be Lacazette up front, even though he's not scoring because he scored what two goals from open play and two penalties all season in the Premiership, and Eddie scored any. So I just can't for how bad Lacazette's playing. I cannot justify bringing in Eddie because I just don't think. He's going to do any better. And he's been, I think Arteta brought him back. That was one of the first things he did as a manager was to bring him back from his loan spell at Leeds. And I think he played him for about a year. And I think, I think Danny said that. I think he scored about three goals 
in a calendar year. And then Arteta's gone off him. And for some reason, we couldn't sell him because no one wanted to pay pretty much anything for him, really. We were talking peanuts. So, yeah, that's what it did. But, I mean, I, I have no clue what Arteta's going to do because when I was thinking about this this morning, I remember going back a few years ago when um, I think when Wenger was still managing, where all our fullbacks got injured over the case of about three months, even the backup ones. Can you remember that, guys? And um, I think we played like Johan Giroud at right back and another centre-half at left back for about three months. Oh, yeah, I remember this, yeah. Can you remember that, yeah? Mm. And Arteta was captain at the time. And I'm thinking, you know, someone should say to Arteta, remember when that happened, (laughs) you've now decided to play yourself at left back instead of anyone else. So I don't know why he thought that would, you know, be a good idea. But he's well, he's got to learn, isn't he? I mean, look when Arteta came to Arsenal, James. It was at Everton. He was there, Martin Odegaard. He was setting up goals, scoring goals. Did it his entire career. Came to Arsenal, defensive midfielder, and it, it ruined his career. And then that's why he got all of his injuries because he was getting kicked and shoved, and that wasn't. And he should look at that and go, well, he's kind of ruined. My, maybe that's why he's doing it. He's ruined his career, and he's going to ruin other people's careers. I'm going to make you play where you shouldn't. Yeah, maybe he just thinks stuff. Right, fuck it. I remember what Arsenal did to me. Some people, other people, are going to suffer. <laughs> Um, I think I said exactly the same point on the last podcast as I'm going to make now, as I don't... Our real strong point this season has been that we've got from back to midfield an incredibly good base. We've got five players, when they're all fit, across that back four of Tierney, uh, White, Gabriel and Tommy Asu and Ramsdale and Goal, who will prevent us from conceding too much. I don't think our, our biggest problem throughout the season has been scoring goals. But now we've got that coupled with a defence that's not no, it's not anywhere near as strong as it used to be. The point I made on the last podcast, I think that if it were me, and God knows I don't know, what, I wouldn't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> if it were me, I would be looking at a back four of Tavares, and then Gabriel holding and white, because you can let... Tavares go forward and you can use three centre-backs to go into a three and give us that little bit more solidity if we keep Lukonga just in front of the three. I think the minute you start putting Tavares slash Xhaka on one side and Cedric, who to his credit has not been bad, but let's be honest, he's a big drop down from Tomiyasu. And then we're susceptible. You take into account Party's not there as well. The point, another point I made on the last podcast is that of our best 11, Part A, Tomiyasu and Tierney are the ones we can ill afford to replace because we don't have anywhere near in our ranks currently players capable of actually stepping up and going into that position and playing it as well as them. So if it were me picking my strongest team, it would be Ramsdale in goal. It would be Tavares, Gabriel holding White at the back. Um, and then I play Lakonga and Xhaka. And then I would play Smith Rowe, Odegaard, Saka, and Martinelli. Because at the moment, Lacazette's put in those performances where he looks like he's eating his way out of a pot noodle bath before he's come onto the bed. It's, um, it's just sometimes he looks fit, sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes he can be, you know, the focal point of the team and he can be really useful. But other times he can just be unbelievably shit awful. 
where he just, if you were a central defender, you'd probably think, no, oh, this is a this is a walk in the park. This is. We need, I mean, a centre forward, someone. I mean, it was never going to happen, but someone like Vlaovic, someone like the guy Ben Figer, who's pretty good, whose name escapes me. Nunes, um, isn't it? That's Darwin Nunes. Darwin Nunes, isn't it? Yeah. We put a good centre forward in that team, and it's transformative. I mean, I struggle to be too optimistic when I look at the team, the base of the team, how it's set up. I think the minute you put Xhaka at left back, it just opens us up to a world of shit. And I think I'm going to go on to my next point now, which I'm kind of forgotten. Yeah, the next point was in relation to Lacassette and Anketia. I think we've got to look at them now and say it's not working. You can't have your central striker who scores four goals in a Premier League season. You're at 30 games and two of those have been penalties. It's not good enough. I don't think, I mean, I, I would, I'd have to look at the stats, but how many of the 20 teams in this league how many of their centre forwards have got more goals than Lacassette? It's got to be the vast majority. How many centre backs have got more goals yeah. than him? I mean, look um, at that list there. From open so, play, he scored two: one against Palace, one against Southampton. That's it. So I can I can give you some stats here because I've got FB ref in front of me. Team Norwich City are bottom of the league. Timo Puki's got nine goals. Emmanuel yeah, Dennis has got nine goals. Maxwell Cornet, who's been injured and away at the African Cup of Nations, he's got seven goals. Richarlison's got six. Raphael uh, for uh, Leeds has got 10. Callum Wilson has got six. Shea Adams has got seven. Ivan Tony's got 12. Ollie Watkins got eight. Mopay's got eight. Zaha's got 11. Vardy, who spent half the in- season injured, he's got 10. Raul Jimenez has got six. Ronaldo's got 12. Jared Bowen has got nine. Uh, You've got Mason Mount, who's playing from in midfield in an advanced midfield position, has 10 goals. How many has Lukaku uh, got? Uh, I think he's got about three, hasn't he? I think he scored all of his against us and that was it. But he's, he's got about four or five. But even Lukaku's scored more goals than, than Lacazette, James. And that just really sums it up as I've just reeled off all of the teams. Yeah. Every team has a striker or centre forward uh, that is banging in goals. We're relying on Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka, who've both got nine. Uh, one of my reasons why I think you've got put both of them in the team at the moment. My question is that if we're looking at the Southampton game, it's long been mooted as what people think we should do, but do you think it's finally time that he starts Martinelli up front instead of Lacazette? Because Lacazette's just not working, Nick. I thought he would have I think we talked about two months ago when we officially, you know, let Aubameyang go. We thought we may have to. I mean, I said, I mean, we all said who's going to be the top goal scorer of our strikers. I think Danny said Martinelli. I said Lacazette. And I don't think either of that has worked. But, I mean, Arteta's been there, what, two and a bit years now? And he's had Lacazette with him. He's had, you know, we brought Anketia back. If he doesn't know how to play them to get the best of their abilities as strikers and score goals by now, then either they're terrible footballers and just need to retire or go somewhere else, or he's just not a very good manager because that, that's basically what a manager does. You just get the best, you know, out of your players whilst, you know, hiding their weaknesses as players. 
And I, do, I mean, obviously, Arteta, uh, Lacazette played quite well. And you know, when you see when he has played well and scored goals, it's not when he's got his back to goal, trying coming deep, trying to pick the ball up. That's never that's not his game, and that's never been his game. And pretty much since we signed Abamyang, that's what he's been asked to do for four years. You know, since two, th- you know, January two thousand and eighteen. And Eddie, we know he's a fox in the box type of player. Can can we change the whole team round to get the best out of Eddie being a fox in the box? You know, you know, because I think he is decent from six yards, and, um, unless he's trying to head up from six yards, and he's not that decent. But yeah, if he can, if he, two years he can't get the best out, and he's got to try something. What do you say, James? I'm, I'm one of the things I've always been quite interested about is I wonder. If there's another team in all of Europe's top leagues that have got their two centre forwards with their contracts running out in the summer, because I bet there's not. I mean, that is, when you look at it, a fucking terrible situation for you to be in. That Those players, whether it be consciously or otherwise, probably know that they're not going to be here next season. And whilst you can probably say that both of them are very good professionals, I don't think there's not an element where that doesn't play on your mind where you probably think, well, I'm not really going to be here next season. I've got no stability. I've got no clarity on my future. So unless I'm playing for a contract, and both of them probably know they're not going to get one, you're just not going to be at 100% for your team. They're um, definitely not going to go in for a 50-50, are they, at no. this stage? If you, you know, like I say, Lacazette going go in for a 50-50 and get a broken leg, he's basically got no... He's probably going to miss the whole of next season because yeah. I suppose no one will even think about touching him until January if he did. And that's, that could all, for all intents and purposes that's his career then isn't it? Yeah. Well yeah his age I mean mm. I couldn't believe it the other day when I actually said Benzema was like two three years older than him and I think you thought that'd be the other way around you thought yeah. Laka was like the 34 35 year old. I mean in my opinion you've got to look at them and the pure, the simple fact is, it's not working. They're not scoring goals. They're not contributing enough to teams to warrant their place. I think if you're, and it's been, we've been found out, we've been sussed out. There's not a team. I don't think there's a team in the league now that will look at us and think we're in trouble here, guys. They're all going to think they've got a shot, and they're all going to think we're not massively a much of a threat, especially centrally. So, I think Martinelli. Is brilliant from the wing. He's a handful. I think he can play centrally much in the same way Sanchez could. I don't think his stature and his ability to hold the ball up necessarily matters too much. I think he's got all the key attributes to just be a pain in the ass. I mean, Vardy isn't the most physically imposing player, but if you were a six foot five central defender, you'd fucking hate playing against him because he's always there and he doesn't give you a moment's peace. For me, Martinelli's got the potential to do that. He's a goal threat. He's good. He's quick. He's able to run the channels. And Lacazette can't do any of those things. And I think if you put him down the middle and you give him Odegaard, Saka and Smith-Rowe on the opposing sides and behind him, then we are a far more offensive threat than we are at the moment. Chris? A hundred percent. A million percent. I agree with you, Jimbo, because let's look, if we think about the Southampton game in isolation, we wait, we know the way the Hassan Hoople's teams play. They press high. And so if you've got your bank of defence 
midfield and attack and they're all able to press high because you're playing a waddling Frenchman who if he gets behind is going to be caught up quite easily because he's gassed after about 20 minutes you're quite happy to press high up pitch and put more pressure on but if you play someone like Martinelli off the lines then as a back four you're not going to play out by the halfway line are you because Martinelli has shown like he did with the goal against Chelsea a couple of years ago that he will happily sprint away into the distance if he's given the chance so as a back line you're and as a defender as a former defender myself you're immediately shitting yourself and thinking okay I'm going to drop off half a yard or two if you as a defense drop off half a yard or two but your midfield and your attack press there's gap that's space in between your defense and your midfield and that is where someone like Martin Odegaard, Saka, Smithrow, if you play those guys interchanging if they've got space then we could have a happy day of it all and so that's what something like Martinelli does it doesn't have to be like everyone's just getting too, everyone's just spent too much time worrying about the link-up play that Lacazette delivers but I just think that's been overrated the whole time that we've seen him as our main focal point. I think you give defenders something to worry about with pace, channel running like Martinelli will do, and let the three behind them work their magic. And I think it would work. So against Southampton, high press, that will work. Against Chelsea, they're going to have more of the ball and they will naturally be pressing us in our own half. Martinelli on the counter. Yes, please. You've got Man United. Up, someone like Harry Maguire up against Lacazette, he'd love it. Someone like Harry Maguire up against Martinelli, he would hate it. So what should have happened weeks ago is that we were trying this even for the last 20 minutes of games or something. But because he's, he's we've been pushed into this corner now with, because of Lacazette's terrible form, we are now at a point where none of us actually know because we haven't seen it. We all just feel it. And I'm just at the point where I'm just done with Lacazette. And it's like, let's just give it a go. Martinelli up top. Danny? Yeah, so I agree with all of that. Like, as much as we love Lacazette and he's been he's been at the club for so long and done so much, he's never really lived up to the the, the goal-scoring threat that he should have been. He's, he misses more often than not. I mean, this season, we've already seen the number of goals that he scored or hasn't scored, and the chances that he puts wide, and you think, well, one's going to go in sooner or later, but it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like anything's going to go his way at all. But there is something I wanted to ask you, James, with uh, another list. You know, I do like a list. Look at that. These are the, I've made it narrow this time, so it doesn't block everyone off. <laughs> the top list of players, Gwendouzi, Maitland-Nars, Treya, Bamiyang, William, Mkhitaryan, and Ozil, he fell out with all of them. And all the ones below are all the ones that he let go for one reason or another. Are we Hard talking about um, Emery or Arteta? Arteta. So all he didn't the ones have that Ramsey he, go, did he? No. Yeah, he was, uh, Ramsey left at the end of 2019 and he was in charge in December 9, um, uh, 9, did he? 18, 19. Ramsey left at the end of Emery's first season, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I, yeah. He, oh, good. Well, I'll ignore that then because I was checking, I was going back through Wikipedia and checking that and I looked at the uh, the date when Arteta was made, man, uh, made manager. So ignore the Ramsey one. Could have made him stay if he wanted, but he's rubbish in Scotland. And so you look at all those other ones, Saliba and Nelson and Mari and Bellerin, Tavares, Elneny, Pepe, Mustafi, Kolasnic, Socrates. How many of these players on this list, if they were at the club now, could be could be maybe even starters? I mean, imagine having Torreira in midfield. Um, not William, not Mkhitaryan, not Ozil, but Maitland-Niles could be playing left-back, he could be playing right-back. Gwendouzi, like someone said in the chat earlier, that he could be one of the first ones. Um, in, he could easily make our start in 11. Saliba, well, he can play it. Uh, did someone say he can play at left-back? No. Who was who plays at left-back? One of our oh, players can play it. Oh, um, uh, Tommy Ashu, that's who. I know there's someone who could. Bellerin could do something. But all these players here, 
that's a hell of a lot of players to fall out with, excluding Ramsey. Um, a hell of a lot of players that, that, that now we could need at the club because we've got so few players and we're having to shift other players from their better positions to that. But amongst this lot, is there anybody there that would score goals? Maybe the, one. The, the only one on that list who potentially could is Pepe, but he's too hot and cold. Mm. It's just, it just is concerning the number of players that he just throws away. I mean, I'd love to see Torreira at the club. Remember when he first signed? The first six months, he got, what, three or four man of the matches in a row? I, I, it was I mean, fantastic. I think Torreira's problem is that he just didn't settle in England. Mm. And I, I think you see that with some, it's like, especially players that have been more accustomed to, say, Spain or Italy. They come to Britain and they don't like it. And I think he's one of those. And I think it just didn't work. I mean, he was a good player. It didn't work. Um Gendozi, Gwendozi, I, I, he's a bit of a prick, so you can sort of think. <laughs> yes, poor Brown. Sometimes we need a little bit of a prick in midfield, don't we? Admittedly, but I mean, let's be honest, any one of us four could probably do a decent job in League <laughs> One in central midfield, so it's not really the best barometer. Oh, dear. We'll be I'm honest, James. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all old enough. We work... Even if someone is a bit of a prick, if they're good at their job, does it really? And as a manager, you're going to manage some pricks. But I mean, if they perform on the pitch, that's a good prick. I think the the the, the thing with Gwendozi is, is he enough of a good player to be a prick? I don't think he is. I don't think he's good enough to be a prick. I think if he got his head down and knuckled down, he'd be a bloody brilliant player, but... If his attitude is even half as bad as people have said, then it's the best. You don't see any of Europe's top clubs queuing up to buy him. I think if he um, give him credit, if he were to, if that part of his personality wasn't there, I think he'd be a bloody brilliant player. If he had the right attitude, he would be fantastic. I just don't think he does, and that's one of Arteta's decisions that he's made that I actually agree with. And there's quite a few he's made in terms of players he's let go that I agree with. And that's irrespective of whether or not we're weaker with them or without them. You could certainly argue we're a lot weaker attackingly, offensively, without a Bamiyang. But was it the right decision to let him go? I think it was. It was the right perspective for the uh, right decision for everyone. So I think we're all universal in agreement that Lacazette just ain't doing it. So I'm now going to go on to my next question, which is kind of veering wildly off topic. And it's something Chris and I actually spoke very briefly about this morning. I was planning to mention before I realized he was on. And that is Unai Emery. Mm. Um, I am not Unai Emery's biggest fan, but I'm certainly not his biggest naysayer. I actually think that his record and his past accomplishments show him that he is actually a very, very good coach. I think he came to Arsenal at the wrong time. He had the wrong attitude. He had the wrong mentality and he had the wrong mindset and it just didn't work. But I think he was treated a little bit harshly as well, purely because he was the guy that came after Arsene Wenger and so many people wanted Wenger to leave and so many people wanted to stay that whoever came in was sort of, you know, riding on a chariot of shit in terms of they were never really going to get the freedom to do what they want and implement like Arteta has. Now, my question is, there are a lot of ways you could look at this one way or the other. Do you think that Arteta has done a better job than Emery did? 
Danny. Um, you made the point there that I was going to say it was the you go back as far as you want. It was whoever took over from George Graham failed, whoever took over from Alex Ferguson failed, whoever took over from Matt Busby, um, Kenny Dalgleish, and all these world class top managers, best in their game. Whenever someone takes over from it, is the poison chalice. And it, I, I don't think it, even if Arteta were to come in after um, after Wenger, even when he, some would say he's failed now. But to try and take over a club that's in that situation is uh, no manager in their might mind would take it over. And he's gone on and won the Europa League. And now he's gone on. He's taken his team, Villarreal, who are a very average team, with Frankie Cock in midfield, um, Gabriel version 1.0. Is he there? Was he at, the, is he at his last he's club? He's at Valencia, isn't he? I think he might have been at Villarreal, then gone. I know that he's, he's had him at one of his clubs before and after Arsenal. And uh, it's uh, he's taken him to the Champions League semi final. Beat by drew one one at Bayern Munich, lost uh, beat one nil away, no one nil at home, and one one away. And in Bayern Munich, I mean, you got Lewandowski there who scores five hundred goals a season. It, it, it's probably very boring football. Uh, I thought in our WhatsApp group, somebody I think it might have been Femi put in a picture of the, his tactics. I didn't read it, but he said uh, the players that he took on and the players that he took off, and you know that's some messed up formation. And then you look at that and you think. Well, God, it's, it's, it, it's the classic. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> it wasn't him, it was us. See, my theory on it is that, like, um, he came to Arsenal and very much the same thing that happened at PSG is that he had a certain way of playing and that way of playing got him a lot of good results when he was with Sevilla. And he, when he won the Europa League like three years in a row. They got to the final with Arsenal. And then won it again with Villarreal, if I'm not mistaken, that's how it went. Maybe there's a year gap somewhere in the long. But he just didn't suit two so-called big teams with fan bases that expected attacking football. I mean, some guy there says Unai Emery fell because of the language barrier. But you have to give the man credit. He didn't, like, hide behind a translator. He physically put himself out there and he tried to speak the language. And I got a lot of respect for him for doing that because I thought, you know, it's not easy to go to another country, another culture and learn that language all all the while trying to implement your views onto a team. But he did it and he tried. I would be the first to admit that he wasn't right for Arsenal and letting him go was the correct decision and it wasn't going to go anywhere other than where it was going. But there are times I look at it, and it's more one of those times where Arsenal are sort of in a bad vein of form. That if we're being 100% honest with ourselves, if it was Emery in charge now, we'd all want him gone. If it was Emery in charge at the end of last season, we'd want him gone. Now, whilst I don't have anything against Arteta, and he's obviously a young manager with a lot of potential, but he's going to make mistakes. I just sometimes feel when I look at it that... Whilst I don't for one minute think Emery is the right man for Arsenal, I do sometimes question whether or not Arteta is. I don't think there's anything wrong with that personally. I think that it's perfectly fine to have an opinion about someone and have that opinion change. So if you're going through a period where Arsenal aren't having favourable results and you start to think yourself, well, I don't know if the manager is the right man for the job. Things aren't going our way. It's perfectly okay to have that opinion. And then, say, six or seven games down the line, when things take a turn for the better and the team performing, you can just say, well, I was wrong. Arteta obviously knows more about this than I do, and he's actually turned things around. And I started to think that at the beginning of this season. 
if someone had said to me, James, what do you think about Arsenal? What do you think about Arteta? Do you think he should still be here? And they'd said that question to me at the end of last season, like I said, then I'd say no. Because eighth is not good enough for Arsenal Football Club. And this is the first time in 25 years we've not had international football. And if that had been Emery, he'd be at the door. Now, I understand Arteta is a young manager and Arteta is a project. And you have to keep faith in that project. And I do admire the club for doing so. But I think if we get to the end of this season and we're in no better position, if we do capitulate, and as much as it pains me to say, you look at the personnel we have available, you look at our defensive options, our midfield options and our striking options, then for all intents and purposes, we could go down shit creek pretty swiftly. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope I'm wrong. But it's one of those things where you look at it and you think, hmm, we've been hit and we've been hit in key positions and we probably can't keep up with those around us. So I'm going to just shut the fuck up for a minute and then ask Chris my original question. What do you think? Uh, so with the Emery thing, this is really hard because like Arteta won us an FA Cup and you don't, those memories stay with you. Um, I will never forget the times when I've actually been, was actually allowed to go to Wembley and see my team win an FA Cup. And it is a lovely cr- stick to beat. All Sorry, a piece of trivia, uh, Chris. I can remember very vividly watching me and Daniel watching the 2015 FA Cup final at my place. And you were in the bloody crowd on the TV. <laughs> yeah, I did. I got a few text messages that day saying, you're such a, sh- you're such a poser because the camera just literally swung around for me and everyone had gone for beers at half time. And I was like pointing at the camera and stuff. Was that but, yeah. the Villa game, wasn't it? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, something like that. Um, but yeah, he won us a cup. So that's good. He, he has had the opportunity to clear out a lot of the dross and it's been painful. You've got the whole COVID factor that that was different for anyone so let alone a manager that's brand spanking new into his first top flight role and then the style I feel like when it's worked the style and the way in which we've played it's felt like yeah I understand what we're trying to do here whereas with Emery we went on that like 20 odd game like undefeated run and there were times when we were all a bit like oh, yeah, we beat Everton 2-0, but bloody hell, they had like 25 shots on goal and we had about 12 and, you know, got two goals. So we got away yeah, with there that There was one, one game at Watford where they absolutely fucking peppered us, wasn't there? Yeah. Like 32 shots on goal. Yeah, it was like Opta's most game, most uh, shots conceded or something at the time. So there was that that side of it. But then, so the flip side, Arteta has been backed. He's He's been given much more money than, than Emery had and he's been given much more control than he had. And... He's had time that Emery hasn't had. So it's an, I find it a really difficult question to, to answer because for everything that Emery had that went against him, Arteta's had stuff that's gone against him as well. And it just, I, I just see them as two different people on two different paths at two different times in Arsenal's sort of history. And I don't know which way this one's going to swing. But I think I'm with you, James. If we go into some sort of death spiral, I can't honestly say that after two and a half years, if we're finishing seventh or eighth at the end of this season because we've lost to Southampton and then we've gone on an absolute stinker, I can't honestly say this man has done the business for us, even though he's won us a cup, even though there's been COVID, even though he's cleared out some of the dross. I just, I'm finding it really difficult. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this, Nick? I just think when Emery came in, I mean, it's weird to say because Emery came in to manage Arsenal, so did Arteta, but they've both done completely different jobs 
or tried mm. to do differently. Arteta has pretty much took a hammer to the first team, got rid of Danny's Bundesliga bastards, <laughs> got rid of so many players, which is probably what Emery should have done when he came in. But for Emery's, what, 18 months, they actually tried to, I don't know for Arsenal, to sort of buy their way out of trouble. They thought he could come in, just buy two or three players, you know, even broke our transfer record, you know, with Pepe. So they did back him and he gambled that he could basically get us back into the top four, you know, straight away and get the last of, you know, the Wenger old boys actually motivated and playing well. Unfortunately, like I said, they didn't. Ozil just didn't care. Mustafi didn't care. Socrates, none of them really showed up. So halfway through, you know, that was after that 20-game run at the start of the season that they all thought, no, we can't be bothered. We're going to make fun of your accent. And then he sort of tried to get him out. But I don't think that's Emery. That's not... He's more of a tactical, maybe slight man-manager. He's not... I don't think he's the sort of player that, you know, a manager could go in and just completely rebuild the side, you know, and bring in all youthful players and have, you know, a project, the process or whatever you call it. I think someone like, if Arteta was to finish next summer or even this summer, Emery wouldn't be a bad manager to bring in now because we've got a decent base, you know, of defence, sort of half decent midfield. We just need, you know, decent strikers and we've got a good side. That's the sort of manager he is and he just couldn't, rebuild a whole side from scratch, could he? No, I mean, like I said, the elements have conspired against them both to a certain degree. I can't remember if I've asked your thoughts on this, Danny. I've had something of a brain fart myself. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at, at their um, their statistics as Arsenal manager. Arteta with this decent run, I think he's just dipped below the win percent ratio because... Unai Emery had 78 games, 143. That's a win ratio. Um, a win percentage of 55.1. And Arteta, 121 games, 66 wins, which is just over half. And his rating is 54.55. And so now he's, he's doing done less. But but like Chris said, he won as the FA Cup and, and the, the Charity Shield. And we beat big teams on the way to those finals. And or not final, Charity Shield isn't a final. And then we saw earlier on in the season we had that run where we, we scored what's that, 14, 15, 16, 19 goals in five games. And then we've seen other points in this season where we had uh, four clean sheets in five, and the only one who scored against us were, was Liverpool. Uh, one, two, three, four. Yeah, so uh, I think you could argue the biggest difference between them two is a cup final against Chelsea. Mm, one yeah. lost it, one won it. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, because the European Cup final, I mean, the um, Europa League final. But see, that's what is so infuriating about this lot. It's We go through patches where we score loads of goals. We go through patches like against Liverpool away. We were defensively magnificent. Then we played Man City at home and we were attackingly fantastic. So much so Pep said it's one of the best teams he's played against. And then we go at points where we don't concede, we concede one goal in four or five games. 
and then it all completely falls apart. It seems like we can only get this run of games for, for like you said, the beginning of the show, James, four, five, six games, and then it all completely falls apart. And then Arteta, so we see this with so many managers. When things start going wrong, they start getting desperate and making crazy choices, like he's high on crack or something by putting the wrong players in the wrong positions. And all these players, you look back at all of our games recently, even when we're doing really badly, he'll still only use one or two subs. All the other players are, where's Elneny? Elneny hasn't played a single minute of football since he came back from the AFCON. I mean, he's a surely reliable well. midfielder. Pepe is not the best. But if you're chasing a game, he's a wild card, he's chaos, put him on there. Because he can, he, he can just, if we're chasing a game, then he can do what he did against Wolves, where he got us back in it. I mean, yeah. at least he knows where they had to score a goal. Yeah. But then, do you know Pepe's, is, go on, Chris. I was going to say, Pepe's involvement in that game from Brighton, I was just looking at, uh, he, had, he only had four or five touches less than Lacazette with 73 minutes less football because Lacazette got the full 90, Pepe had 17 minutes. And the problem with Pepe is, like you said, James, he gets that, he's a chaos merchant, which is good. And then he just he just does idiotic things like, you know, in the last few seconds, passing the ball back from a corner to, to then be offside. Uh, it just It's that stuff which drives people mad. Sanchez used to do stupid stuff as well. And if Pepe's on the pitch for 73 minutes at, instead of Lacazette, and he has two chances or three chances where Lacazette's having none, Pepe's probably putting one of those away because he's, he's a decent finisher. It just seems to me like he's one of those options that, I assume Arteta is not using because Arteta just doesn't like the player. He doesn't trust the player mm. or he's got little or no faith in the player. It's just, you think that if if, if you're 2-0 down at home, did he come on against Brighton? He did, didn't he? I can't remember. Yeah. For the last 17 minutes, Pepe did. Yeah. yeah. Give him, we were 2-0 down. Give him the last 20 minutes. Give him the last 30 minutes. Don't leave Lacazette on because it's a waste of time because after 20 minutes, he's blown out his ass. Okay, right, guys. I'm going to move on to the uh, final segment before we go into our listeners' questions. And it's just very simply a preview of the Southampton game, which I can't remember what day that is. Is it this weekend? Saturday, 3 p.m. Saturday, 3 p.m. Um so basically, the questions are simply going to be, do you think we'll make any drastic changes to the team? What are your thoughts on how the game will pan out? Are you concerned? And do you think we'll win? I'm going to go to Christopher with that one first. Uh, I think it depends entirely on whether or not Arteta is sitting at home right now thinking, I reckon if we did the same thing that we did against Brighton, we'll get a different result. That's my biggest fear, is that we see Xhaka at left back. Lacazette, Alexander Lacazette, just actually just in the 11. In order to just, for, for me to feel a lot more comfortable, just go Ramsdale, Tavares, Gabriel. I quite like what you said about White playing as a right back and uh, holding in central defence. I'm not Holding's fan, a biggest fan at all. But the idea that White... He's who more is a secure White Cedric, than Cedric, yeah. Cedric is... Yeah. And he's going to be more like Tomiyasu as well, if you think. That's the sort of style Tomiyasu is. You play Lekonga and Xhaka next to each other. Play Erdegaard, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli. You can even swap Martinelli and Smith-Rowe so that they're, at times, one's playing as a false, false nine, Smith-Rowe. He can then drift out. Just cause some problems. If we play like that, 
then yeah, I'd, I'd have some optimism. But right now, I'm feeling it difficult because I'm starting to lose trust that Arteta's going to pick the right side and not just revert back to his old mistakes. Danny, sprinkle some of your infinite wisdom. <laughs> I, I feel just like Chris. I am... I was at some point this season. I was anxiously looking forward to the next game. Coming, come on, we're gonna we're gonna improve. We're gonna run them ragged. Even Ramsdale has stopped his long ranging attacking from from the goal. Right foot kick all the way down left hand side onto Martinelli or Smith Rowe's foot as he was running on and doing stuff. We've even stopped doing that in the dying minutes of the game against Brighton. The ball went out for a throw-in. Then we threw it to one of our players. We then kicked it at one of theirs, and it went out again. And then we ended up going backwards with the ball with a minute and a half to go. Chris, I mean, you, you were at that game, weren't you? What, what were the fans doing? You weren't there? No, I was in Rome. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, went in Rome and all that. But yeah. I would have been screaming, what the... F-? We saw with Chelsea last night. You, uh, if you need a goal, you the whole time Ramsdale should have been playing as a sweeper, getting that ball, lobbing it down that end, and putting everybody up to get the get the um try and get the equaliser. We weren't doing it. We were losing possession. We were coming back out into midfield. We're going all the way back to, to Ramsdale, and you're thinking this isn't what you do when you're two one down at home to a team that you should be beating. And I'm just now I'm thinking, oh god, it do I do I really want to watch the game? I'm going to watch the game. I'll watch all of them. But it's so infuriating that you, I'm just thinking, well, what, what, what stupid decision is Arteta going to make? And you know, sure as, sure as sugar is shit, or whatever the saying is, we win this one, and then we beat Chelsea, and then we'll all be going, it's back on. And that is driving me nuts. It's like being in a slightly abusive relationship with a club. They're, they're, they're grabbing me by the balls with one hand and tickling me under the chin with the other. And I don't know which one's coming. You see, I don't actually think, or I certainly didn't at the beginning of the season, that we'd get fourth. And I don't actually think it's massively disastrous if we don't. I think getting fourth is beyond expectations. Reasonable expectation is to be around the fifth, sixth mark. I think if we get any lower than that, then we're below expectations, and that's when conversations have got to be had. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts on Southampton? Well, I think, to be honest, you know, for, for Arteta, whether he's um, copied a bit of Wenger where, and also Pep, where he's got this way of playing, this formation in his head that he wants everyone to play and do whether or not we've got the players you know that can do that I mean look after that Palace game obviously yeah Tavares got roasted a few times Partey got injured and then you look up and you've got you know Brighton and Southampton and you think right what is the easiest solution there all right Partey's injured we haven't really got anyone else right we'll tell you what we'll stick three at the back so we don't really have to worry about Partey playing and that will also help Tavares because he doesn't have to do as much defensive work because he's got three at the back. But obviously, he doesn't want to do that. I mean, I mean, how, I remember quite badly under Wenger, and I think there's someone called a team meeting and for his last year or so, and they, they tried him to force him to play three at the back. But then, obviously, as soon as anything went wrong in the game, he went back to the old four-two-three-one. But yeah, it's just. I'm just trying to think what Arteta's going to do because, like I said, what they say, what they say about Wenger and people say, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And the last two games, we've played terribly playing this way. So irrelevant. I mean, how, why does he think we're going to play well and score a goal in the, if he keeps playing the way he's playing? 
I don't think you can have any one particular setup these days. I mean, every team's got a selection of players that offer different things. So invariably, the tactical setup and threat and defensive stability, all of that is going to change ever so slightly depending on who's on the pitch. And it's no different from us. Um, in terms of the game, before I go to the big fella and ask him his predictions, I'm going to give you all mine. I'm slightly, maybe, maybe strangely confident. I think traditionally we do okay at Southampton. We've had the odd blip there where someone will score a wonder goal or we'll get actually fucking walloped. But I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think they've just been battered by Chelsea, so their confidence should be a lot lower than ours. I mean, that can have an adverse effect in terms of that you've got a team that's just been battered. And they seem to that seems to happen to Southampton quite regularly where they will just get absolutely fucking walloped by someone. Um, whether it be Leicester putting nine past them, Chelsea putting six past them, but it will happen. But I think we'll beat them. I think it's they're going to be expected to attack us. They're not going to sit back. They'll probably press us high, but I think that it's the kind of game that suits us. I mean, when we're under pressure, if we play away from home against a team with lots of physically quick players like Palace have, then, you, but Southampton don't necessarily have that. The the guy up front's decent, but in terms of their attackers and midfielders, they don't have anyone like Palace do. So I don't think they'll offer the same kind of threat. I think if I was going to be bold enough to give you all a prediction, I'd say we'll win 2 0 and it'd be relatively comfortable. I should state that I very rarely get these things right, by the way. <laughs> so, Danny, what are your thoughts? Just looking at Southampton's recent results in the Premier League, they've lost their last three, 6-0 Chelsea, 2-1 Watford, Newcastle beat them 2-1, all at home, there those ones are. And then they beat Everton and Norwich, beat them both 2-0 at home. And then they had a run of playing against Spurs, Brentford and Man City, who were playing nice football. They drew 1-1 with Spurs, beat Brentford 4-1 and drew 1-1 with Man City. And so you're looking at that and you're thinking, God, dear, it must be like being an Arsenal fan. You, you, there's no predictability in any of their form. So you'd look at the uh, Newcastle and Watford don't really play the beautiful game, do they? I mean, Chelsea, they're just a bit psychopathic. You don't know which one's going to turn up. But the fact that Spurs, Brentford and Man City went there, they all play like good, decent football like we try to do. And they got a result. I'm going to go for 1-1 one, one, and it's going to be it's going to be head in hands time because I'm just... Oh. Just, I'm just dreading seeing what muck up he's going to do. And then the, the, the Twitter is going to be an absolute nightmare, nightmare afterwards. So I'm going to just delete Twitter and just not bother with it. But I'm, I'm not confident. I'm not looking forward to it, which is a shame because we've got so much promise in that side. And you're not looking forward to it at all? No. So am I the, of the four of us, I'm the only slightly optimistic one. Yeah, seemingly. I think um, I think it's going to be a, a draw, and that's not enough. A draw, a hundred percent, takes us out of the top four running. Um, it doesn't really do a lot for us. My gut feel is we're going to end up with a draw. I don't want to say that because I'd love us to go there with the confidence that we could be picking up a win and hope that Brighton can actually do us a favour against Tottenham. But Brighton are not a great team. We should I have think been we're, we're, it's still worth remembering that we are in the position where. We have a game on Tottenham. If we win that game, we're level on points. So we're not out of the race by any stretch of the imagination. There's still everything to play for. 
And football's a funny game. You never know what you said could actually happen. We could beat Southampton, Brighton pull one over Tottenham, and then everybody's perceptions completely um, uh, revolve back around to where we were previously. So it is worth, I think at the very least, I think it's worth remembering that we're still in a good position. We are not in a bad position. We're not 20 points behind. We're not dawdling out of the race. We are still in the race. And whilst we've certainly let slip a favourable position, we are still in it. So um, those questions, that wonderful assortment I put forward to you guys, um, that's all I have for today. So I'm now going to hand over the proverbial range to that portly so-and-so over there with the beard and the um, moonlight provocatively glistening off his bald head and he's going to hit us up with some questions i'll just ask nick if he wants to do them because uh, nick's been very oh, nick's quiet gonna do them. sorry i didn't i completely didn't read that on the side there it's just well you were busy it. hosting the show you can't host and read at the same time have you found them nick yes i found them i didn't click on, the then. button properly did i gotta click it harder next time oh dear all right Got from my mate for seal on Twitch from Romania. I'll ask James this because he ain't had a lot of questions. Who do you guys think could replace Arteta? Oh fuck me! <laughs> yeah, well, let's get it done. I mean, yeah, if you, sooner or later. If you're looking at, I again, this is something in relation to what I said on the last podcast. If, I think if you take out of the equation Patrick Vieira as an ex-Arsenal player, then I think his suitability factor takes a little bit of a drop. If you forget that, I mean, like I said before, he's my favourite Arsenal player, at least one of them of all time. I absolutely adore that man. I would have him as Arsenal manager in a heartbeat, purely on sentimentality and purely on the fact that it's who he is. I think if you take all of that out of the equation and Patrick Vieira is just, say, another coach from France and he's not got the connections with Arsenal Football Club, then I'd argue that people's sort of... Um, view of him or people's willingness to have him as Arsenal manager wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be the same. People just wouldn't see it that way. But but he plays good-looking football. Yeah, but like I said, but if you take into account how Palace have done, that they've got a good group of young players and he's drastically turned around a team that pretty much beforehand had all its focus on, like, you know, strong, older professionals that would just do enough to avoid relegation, and they certainly would set the Premier League alight. They'd have the odd good result, but no, they're predictably average, and I think Vieira's changed that. But there's all, always the step up to take into account that there are a lot of managers throughout history who have done... Roy Hodgson is the best example of this, who've done really, really good jobs at relatively middle to low-level teams, and in the minute they've tried to take a step up to the so-called higher echelon of the Premier League or whatever Europe, European league they might be in, they've suffered. I think Hodgson greatly suffered when he tried to manage Liverpool and he's greatly suffered when he tried to manage England because that was maybe the step too high from his ability. Whereas you look at his how he did with Palace, how he did with Fulham, he did a really good job there. And I think that in going back to the original question of who am I going to pick, I mean, Jesus... I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, if we're talking money is no object and they're going to not really, we can just pick whoever we want, then there's perks for Simeone, but I think we'd be a fucking boring team, but we'd be a winning team. Um, the guy at Ajax is probably going to go to Man United. I think he's more suitable to a team like Arsenal. 
I don't necessarily think he'll be able to go into Man United and change it the way it needs to be changed. I think as far as squads go, they've got more problems than us. And they purely because they're a team of individuals. It's not a team. It's just 11 players who don't really like each other on the pitch. And they've spent a fortune to get that. So you could argue that they are in a probably worse position than us. So Ten Hag's got a lot to do. That's his name. I just remembered. He's got a lot to do when he gets there. But to be honest with you, that in terms of up-and-coming managers, a lot of people say Graham Potter at Brighton. I mean, maybe. Re- really, other than Vieira, who I think is the, um, the obvious choice, should Arteta go in the summer, and I don't think he will, by the way, I really can't think of anyone. That's not bad. So you said that the next Man United manager and Patrick Vieira. It's not bad. Right, so next question I'll ask Chris. Sort of the same question with uh, Rocky in the chat. Is Arteta the answer or do we need a change? I think as we've kind of discussed this evening, it kind of feels like we need to see how this season shakes out because if we finish seventh or below, then it's been a bit of a collapse and you're starting to look at it and say, it's not like we don't have enough data points now to say, right, well, this hasn't worked for two years running. So this isn't, is this ever going to work? If it's not going to work after two years running, I saw that Guillaume Belague thing and I tweeted it about it because he made a comparison with Emery and Arteta and talked about how Arsenal fans need to have patience. And I was like, hang on a second. We've had, we've got patience because it's, I still think it's, I still think 70, 75% of Arsenal fans, well, the ones that I interact with online and offline, broadly in favour and want Arteta to do well and support him. So there's that desire there. So is he the answer? We, I don't know at the moment. I feel like I'm wavering now and it feels like I'm almost, once I get to the end of this season, depending on how the tree shakes out, if it's been another collapse, I'll probably say probably not. Maybe we do need to go in another direction. If he's managed to turn this around, let's just say we win five out of the next eight games and we just miss out on top four by a couple of points or something like that because Tottenham have just edged us. I don't know. I'd probably be a bit like, well, that's with no striker. That's with an absolute useless centre-forward, French centre-forward that has played for most of the season. So if he can get the right players in, in the right attacking positions, maybe we can have a better fist of it next season. So long answer, long answer of answering the question by saying, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's bad that we're two and a half years in Arteta's yeah. you know, reign and we still aren't sure on him. It's like... <laughs> So what Danny said, he's like, oh, yeah, he's the man. And then he'd go and do something stupid for a month. And then all of a sudden, we're brilliant again. And then it's terrible. It's torture, Nick. It's so up and down. It's just better off just to leave us down all the time. If we didn't have any expectations, then you can't get disappointed, can you? That's why I should support Norwich, because we have no expectations at all. <laughs> at least you'd have a good goal scorer. What, Pookie? Yeah. Do better than Incidentally, um, Timo Pukki, who is the fucking spitting image of Jock. He is. Yeah, he does look <laughs> yeah. like it, mate. <laughs> Jock oh, will, will not appreciate me saying that either. Oh. Well, if you come on here, he can tell us, can't he? All right, next question I've got Danny's from Boy 10 Dio. The question Has Arteta planned to hand out debuts at this point of the season? Or do you believe he expected us to have zero injuries at all? 
he'd, he'd have to be a fool to say, we were just been unbelievably lucky with injuries this season up until where we are now. Previous seasons, Arsenal have been known as the, the croc club. We're constantly, players are out for us three quarters of a season. I'm not going to go over them. We all know who they are. And I remember when after the transfer January transfer window, people were, were complaining that he'd let too many players go. And I said, of all the top 19 players, Premier League minutes for us this season, we still have 18 of those 19 players at the club. But then we've seen you you're gonna you get Tommy Ashu out, uh, Tyranny out, Party out, and now you've got well, yeah, we may have 18 out of 19. Now we've got 15 out of 19, and you can't do stuff with 15, especially when Eddie and Lacazette are not in form. So you've got you've got 13 players doing stuff. Um he doesn't use them. I'm not going to go over that again, what I've been moaning about, the fact that he isn't giving enough players enough time for them to be match fit. And then they, he doesn't play them, brings them in. They're not match fit. They have two shit games in a row. Tavares has half a game, gets dragged off because he's not match fit. And then he doesn't seem to be learning his lessons like that. Lot. All those kids are on the bench. The the amount of passion and enthusiasm, that's passion with an SH, um, and, and, and enthusiasm those would have if they were given a chance. Like a couple of people said in the chat that Mika Beerith, the young man we got from Fulham, that he's our top goal scorer in the, um, the under-23s this season when Balogun isn't scoring. And he's been training with the first team. Someone else in the chat said Lacazette might not be playing on, on Saturday. This is the time when he'd be looking at that going, oh, fuck me up. If Lacazette's not playing, does that mean someone's offering an all-you-can-eat buffet? Possibly. <laughs> Crab sticks for everyone. I think, it, it means Arteta's, I think it means Arteta's decided we're going to play with 10 men. <laughs> well, I wouldn't put it past him. But he's going to look at that and go, oh, if only I'd have given you 10 minutes here and 20 minutes there and half hour here when we were 3-0 up. Or, but he hasn't. And it, this is when we're playing, we're, we're paying the non-dividends from it. And it's it's a nightmare, Nick. So, well, I did hear no. that. I've heard a rumor that Lacazette was seen leaving Tesco's with eight hundred Easter eggs <laughs> this Sunday. So that might have something to do with it. He's cu- he's currently in a chocolate coma. <laughs> right. So the next question, I got you, James. Uh, Clock Orange. Has Arteta really improved any players? And I'll just add a bit more to that because. Um, it was quite well documented at the, you know, the Man City Amazon documentary that he helped Raheem Sterling like early on in his Man City career when he moved from Liverpool, and they said he was like really good with the younger players. Uh, I mean, it's very difficult to know with any certainty what he's done or whether or not he's had, um, you know, a, a good effect on people. But you would assume, yes. You would assume that players like Saka has continuously improved from season to season. Smith Rowe has continually improved from season to season. I mean, players like Lakonga have the potential to be better. Players like Martinelli, he's improved from where the you take into account his massive injury. He is at a point where he is going to improve. And you look at all of those players and they're sort of teetering on that point of having a really, really breakout season. I remember with um, like Fabregas, there was that moment where he had a real breakout season when you knew he was going to be something special. Now, whilst as much as it pains me to say, it, I don't think Smithrow or Saka or Martinelli are quite at that point yet. I think there's a little while to go before they really, you know, have that moment where they put themselves on the map, so to speak. I do think he's improving players in the team. I think that he's brought in players 
that have improved the mentality of the team, the attitude of the team, the perception of the team to an extent anyway. I think when we have our first 11 on the field, then we're a good team. We are probably, if we're being honest, probably four or five, you know, well thought out, clever and important signings away from this team being a really, really good side. I, I think I feel there's a lot of been, been a lot of negativity and naysaying about Arteta in this particular episode, and quite a lot of that's come from me. But I've always been a big advocate of that if you're going to be detrimental about someone, you have to have the honesty about your personality to be able to say that they have very good points. And from the start of the season, Arteta has really done well with recruitment. I said it once, I'll say it before that the, the players we brought in and the impact they had and the direction to which the team is headed now is a, is a vast improvement. And whilst we're currently having a bit of a bad patch, let's not forget that um, he's really managed to unite team and supporters in a way that we haven't seen for a long time. And that's not through mistake. It's through clever planning and clever recruitment. And you would, you would assume that he has also had a positive impact on the players. When, whenever we have a bad side, bad time, there's no, there's no negativity coming out of the club. Even the players that have left, uh, I mean, Urzil, Aubameyang, they're big name players and they've got a lot of fans at Arsenal. But I think most rational people can see that those players in particular have brought it on themselves. And there's no way in pretty blue hell that you could think that Arteta is the sole one responsible for either of those two, two departures. In my opinion, without having the first bloody idea about what goes on behind the scenes, in my opinion, those two players left because it was their time to leave and they brought it on themselves with a bad attitude. So, and I think him doing that will have improved players as well, more to the point. I think the fact that he, whether it be right or wrong in your eyes, has implemented a system in which you are punished for poor performance and not following the rules irrespective of your standing in the club. I think that's very important. So to cut a long rambling answer short, yes, I do. I think he's improved quite a lot of the players. I think he's done a lot of good work that have improved Arsenal. It just seems that consistency is the issue. Lovely. I thought, I thought you'd frozen them for a second. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right, oh, uh, Chris, what's this one from Cliff? On Twitter. Do you think there is anything in the fact that we played so brilliantly under, what does that say? Earpods, Earpods Charlie. Charlie. Can somebody help me out here? I don't have a clue what Earpods Charlie is. That's his assistant, isn't it? The one with the Earpods always in. Yeah. Oh, one of the pit crew. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, do you, so the question is, do you think that... Did it? I'm trying, I'm trying to work that out. Do you think there's anything in the fact that we played so brilliantly under? As, as, is he talking about Stivenberg? Yeah, I think is what he's trying to say is, do you think there's anything in the fact we appear to have play, played really well when Arteta wasn't there that one time? What yeah, game was that? My personal question, that was a Man City game, wasn't it? Because he caught COVID and we yeah. were very, Possibly, very good. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, the game where um, we were at home and Pep said it's the best attacker team we played against. Yeah, but the thing is, we were in form before that. We spanked Norwich, didn't we? The game before that, over the Christmas period, we had actually been in a decent run of form. So I think the confidence was just flowing in the team. So I think it was probably a little bit coincidental that there was that one game. I think they're so interchangeable. And he'd have been, 
on the phone, in the earpods to Arteta the whole time and vice versa, that it was essentially Arteta's teams. It was, so I don't really think it has anything to do in the with the actual, that one particular performance. I think they are, uh, as Nick said, the pit crew uh, are, are one and the same entity. And therefore, I didn't think <laughs> They're it They're a living organism. Yeah, they are. It's so, a very delicate no. ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. I don't know who Airpods Charlie is, but it's, it's Albert, Albert Steinenberg. Albert Steinenberg. Oh, that sounds lovely. I'm pretty sure he used to play up front for Borussia Dortmund, yeah. but boy, I tend to put it Albert Steinenberg, without that weird accent. Albert Steinenberg. <laughs> right, let's go to Danny. This is the next one. Where's it gone? Yeah, get rid of that one. So it was an and two, three, five, one hundred. How many transfer windows? <laughs> Will be enough Sorry. to give Arteta a chance to stay if change doesn't happen. One, he'll do it this summer. Edu's got plans. They didn't do bugger all in the January transfer window, other than get shit out for them to do nothing in the in the um, the summer transfer window. Big things are going to happen. Two hundred and fifty million quid's worth of stuff's going to happen. We're going to get two strikers. We're going to get a central midfielder. We're going to get a new a backup right back, and uh, we're going to get lots, maybe even a new winger. Um, expect some really decent players, even if we're going to get into the Europa League. And it's probably better for us if we do finish in the Europa League position than in the Champions League position because we do better in the Europa League. But someone, I was just reading on Twitter, someone said that it's typical that um, that uh, Unai Emery is a master at European uh, European football until the, the, the time he spends with Arsenal. So before it and after it, he was and sums up. In fairness, uh, he did get to the final. Yeah, but then uh, got smashed for great goal from Iwobi though. That's what I'm oh, taking away from. Or was it the Ox? It's one of the two. Come Iwobi. on as a sub, Iwobi. Of course, the Ox would be gone by then, wouldn't he? Having a bad day. Yeah. So, um, yeah, one window. That's all he needs. Can I just jump in on that just for one second? So I've just pulled up something. I'm sure I saw something on this with the, the wage bill. I don't know how true this is, but apparently because of the exits that we've had since last summer, our wage bill is like essentially halved. And whereas we've been used to seeing our wage bill being more than, not more than Man United, Chelsea or Liverpool or Man City, but certainly we've been close to them uh, in recent years. It's now drastically reduced on that and if we freed up that much wages then as you said dan he's they've got to go big if they have freed up that much wages if they've got if they've got the money and they they really are ambitious enough ha ha kse uh, they have to well on the abw website burkhamwandland.co.uk.com because we're english it has uh, you go to the transfers page and i've just gone to transfer market and got all the players wages and if we got the full like when Mari's gone on loan to uh, Udinese, is it? He's on seventy grand a week, and they're not paying seventy. But if they were, we're paying all that those wages, just over one point two million pound a week. We've saved in wages of all those players going, and that adds up to something. So you can say at least a million pound because the players that have gone on loan aren't getting all their wages paid, and Obama Young isn't getting all of his wages paid. So you're definitely three quarters of a million million pound a week. But when you're doing that for what, four months from January to five months till May? Actually, their contracts wouldn't be up until the 1st of June, would they, or 1st of July? One of the two. So, yes, they're saving millions. Let's keep keeping their powder dry, basically, what you're saying is, Danny. Hopefully. And they go and buy Lukaku. <laughs> no, no, don't. Take it back. Take it back, Danny. <laughs> you don't want him. He's going back to Inter Milan. 
<laughs> yeah, he should have never left, really, should he? To be fair. Right, we've got last question. I'll ask Chris to make up for the silly AirPod one. Sorry. So it's Ted Watts. Did anyone see the Daily Mail article regarding it not being profitable for Arsenal to go into the Champions League this season? I have not seen that, but I would find that absolutely bizarre and somebody trying to sugarcoat it. Maybe there's somebody in the Arsenal press team that's got... (laughs) I I did see uh, it. I can uh, explain. Basically, what they're saying is the extra 50, 60 million we would get in TV revenue would be half of what we'd need to spend on players to actually compete in it. Basically, you know, break it down. Wouldn't it be something along the lines of... In the Champions League, we get six group games and then we'll probably be out in the next stage. That's eight. But if we got to the semi-finals of the Europa League, that's going to be, what, 14 games? Could it be something along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I, I get Actually, it. But yeah. I get it, but I just can't see it. It's everything, though, isn't it? It's not just the money. It's also the attracting the prestige. It's also about being able to tell players, look in the direction that we're going at now, like prospective players. We're going in this direction. Last season, we finished eighth. We've cleared out a team. We've got a young squad. We've got the youngest squad in the Premier League. Oh, and we've just finished in the top four. And by the way, that's why you're joining us, because in three years' time, you're going to be playing for the equivalent of what Liverpool are like now. That's the kind of angle. But if you finished in the Europa League, it's another season, and you're, you're, a, you're a player and the agent looking at it going, that's what, like four years, five years now without the Champions League? And... The Premier League, the reason why UEFA are are making all of this noise about these wild cards is essentially to appease the Premier League teams because it's the Premier League which has the most difficult league. And it's not difficult to finish. Do you get top top two or top three in France that get the Champions League spots? But whatever it is, you know, it's a lot easier. Yeah, it's a lot easier to finish third in the French League than it is to finish fourth in the The Premier League. Four of us could um, register as a team in the French League and probably finish third. (laughs) Yeah. You're lucky he's not listening. But you just look at the yeah. fact that Villarreal... Villarreal he knows I'm fucking right as well. <laughs> but Villarreal won the Europa League last season, beat Man United in the final. Now they're in the semi-final of the Champions League. I mean, that must give all teams some kind of hope because it's not like they've gone and spent 300 million quid, not like they've done a Malaga or a PSG or any of those other clubs that they go and spend an absolute fortune. They've done that. You could say they've done it properly. You could. Back to you, James, I think. Nick's... Nick's quiet he's warning himself no, i was just saying like so i mean I, I see where they're coming from that's just how they pick you know stats from one column and ignore them from the other yeah mm. they're looking at we'd need to sign extra players to you know have the squad to cover in europe but people are forgetting if we don't get back into europe in the next two years you know we'll have the adidas adidas sponsorship once renewed the emirates whatever car who are sponsoring arsenal and all this sort of thing when these are up for renewal, these companies are not going to be want to offer enough more money for being further down the leagues and not in Europe. They're going to want us to be. They're going to want to offer less money, and that's just how it is. So, I, I see what the paper was saying, but I think that was just to sort of stir the pot a little bit. Hmm. Someone's uh, nose was asking about um, Alba's contract, Chris. Do you know what happened with that? I thought that we'd paid it, we'd paid a big chunk percentage of it until the end of this year. And then from the end of this year, it's terminated. So that was the thing that really frustrated me. And I know it's a really divisive topic talking about Aubameyang 
I still sit on the side that I feel like unless we were going to get somebody in, we should have just kept him because you can't cannot tell me that bringing him on for 25 minutes at the end of a game to play up front is not a better option than, again, I have to repeat myself, seeing that waddling effing Frenchman looking like he's shoved some popcorn down his pants so that he can have a little munch when no one's looking. <laughs> it's just It just drives me mad, Lacazette. And like I say, personally... I think we should have kept him, but and and the fact that we are paying for his contract still. See, I, I'm sort of of the other side of that opinion. Whereas I look at it like, if his heart's not in it, then he's a detrimental effect on every every other member of the team. And I think if he was taking the piss, if he was late, if he was showing disciplinary issues, if his heart wasn't in it, if he didn't want to be here, get rid of him, irrespective of whether or not we got cover. I think it was the right thing to do. Mm. So on that note, gentlemen, uh, I think we're going to do, as is customary at the end of these podcasts, to dop, uh, doff, or what's the word? Our proverbial doff. cack. A cack? Cap? I'm going to start again. I've just had a massive brain fart and I can't speak. Um, as is traditional at the end of these se- segments, to doff our cap to a man, lady, or organization that we are familiar with, friendly with, or just appreciate. So... I know from the chat that Danny has one, so I'm going to go in first. So if you guys don't have one, let's all prepare one and make it um, a wonderful end to the um, podcast. Yeah, one from the podcast itself was a collective. Congratulations, Dennis Burkamp. Today he became a godfather, grandfather, maybe even a godfather too. So uh, that's great. It's lovely to see. But he's going really, really bald, which breaks all of our hearts. And then one for me and myself. Everyone's probably heard of Colin the Spider Catcher. Lived next door, my neighbour, for 19 years. He had a season ticket for, for a season. He was a gooner. He was going to be 70 this year. He wouldn't stop smoking. Got lung cancer. Wouldn't stop smoking. Spread to his brain. And he died yesterday that's at the age of 69. To people, smoking's not cool. Don't do it. And this is someone who's quit for five and a half years as well, so I can second that. And I've never even tried it. I don't need to try it. Like swimming with sharks and parachute jumping and spending a night of passion with a jockmeister. I don't need to try it to know I don't like it. And no, the, the latter one is something I think yeah. everyone should try. As long as it doesn't involve any ham witches. So uh, people don't spend it's... tens of thousands of pounds giving yourself diseases that are going to kill you. And I'm going to miss Colin. Sad oh, times. Poor Colin. That's terrible. Mm. So, Chris, Nick, have you got your gentleman shout out? Nick, you want to go first? That means Chris it. hasn't got one. I've, I've, I've got, no, no, I've got one. So, um, I really like some of the stuff that he's been doing. I've been on a couple of podcasts with him. Um, Albert JTV, he is on Twitter, A U M O H 57. Albert does some really, really interesting stuff. I like listening to him. Um, he's uh, He's got something out with, actually, with Amanda, I think, coming out. It might even be out of the moment or not, but you can read, you can listen to it tomorrow uh, after you've listened to this. There you go. Danny's put it in the chat. So uh, listen to Albert. He's a good guy. I'm certainly going to have a look see at that. Nick, have you got one or do you want me to go? Oh, I got one. The last Ooh. bloke who followed me on Twitter, there's a nice bloke sent me a DM as well. He's just started up on Twitter. So, I mean, I did feel like saying, you know, delete it straight away, but, you know, that's what he's done. And that's AJ Gunner 88 So he's, he's a nice bloke. Give him a follow. I'm going to do as is custody of mine and give my shout out to Jock, to Daniel, to Mike, to Sim, my guys. I miss them all. I love them. 
That's all I've got to say. Oh, bless your socks. There you go. There's AJ Gunner's tweet um, link in the in the chat. And uh, thank you very much for hosting, James. Very nice of you. You're more Again, than welcome. Organised. I love it. Uh, uh, my, I've started a concern that, that I, I haven't been on for a while and I do show, two shows back to back and we've been absolute garbage in both of them. So I think <laughs> don't ask me to come on for the third one and hopefully we'll win. At least your microphone and internet has done really well today. It's been better than it has been previously. I took Danny's advice and invested. So on that note, I think everyone's sort of... Uh, sulking off into the darkness, into the night, into their own proclivities and dark, sordid habits. And on that note, we can bid everybody who's taken the time to watch, to listen, to contribute to this show, to wish you all thank you, to say I hope you have a lovely evening, and to say arrivederci until the next time. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog. <laughs>